everyone, and welcome to Speech of the Sea podcast. However, it's not hosted by me, Andrew, and it's not hosted by Rachel, as we are both on holiday. Rachel's off to somewhere sunny, and I'm currently in my hotel room. So this week, we are bringing you an episode of Twisted Britain, the excellent British podcast hosted by Bob and Ali, and which I co-hosted on. Now, if you've already listened to this, feel free to turn off, and if you haven't, please do enjoy, and we'll be back in two weeks' time. Hello and welcome to Twisted Britain, a podcast on true crime in Britain with a sprinkling of the weird and the macabre. And your hosts are me, Bob Dale. And me, Ali Downey. But we're not alone tonight. We're not. We have a wonderful co-guest, co-podcaster. Yeah, co-host. Twisted Britain superstar, Andy. You have joined us uh, for this this week's recording. Well, hi, Bob. <laughs> hi, Ali. Welcome. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks very much. Um, as I said there, you are a fellow podcaster. Um you do Picture the Scene podcast. I do indeed, yes. Um, and tell us a bit about the podcast. What, uh, what, what do you cover? What do you do? All that. Tell us a bit about it. Sure. I, I co-host it with Rachel, uh, the lovely Rachel. She, uh, she puts up with me. We are, we've only been doing it for 11th episode we released today, actually. We, we cover true crime, as you could probably guess, from mainly from the UK and Ireland, but we go anywhere that takes my fancy, really. And uh, we try and do it to put the listener at the scene, which is why it's called Picture the Scene. So we try and immerse a person into the actual crime so they can they can picture themselves there. Oh, cool. Um, and you get the, the wonderful Rachel, uh, and I get... Me! Ali. Yeah, I don't see how that's happened, but... That's uh, fair. <laughs> um, like, so you've only been doing it a wee while, then. Um you're obviously a listener of podcasts to get into it. Yes, um, yes. You were very- I, I love, I'm a listener. I'm going to cut you off here. Sorry for a moment, Bob. I'm just uh, first and foremost. Um, I like to consider myself a top fan of Twitter. Ah, I love your podcast. That's very, very kind of you. We also consider you a top fan. You are one of. I think the only people in the world I've ever seen wearing a Twisted Button t-shirt, and you have no idea how it much it lit up my heart when oh, I saw that. Oh, it was fabulous, wasn't it, at CrimeCon? Yeah. Um, well, that's, that's, that's amazing, because I'm, I'm not the slimmest of people, so everything looks skin tight on me. So you, you're the first person that says their heart lit up when you, they saw me in a skin tight t-shirt. It was, it was the skin tight t-shirt, and then I noticed it was a Twisted Britain one. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, thank you very much for that, and... Uh, uh, if you've not listened to Andy's podcast before, please do go and give it a listen. Hit subscribe on whatever channel it is. Platform. Smash that like bar. Smash that like <laughs> bar, as Ali said. Um, yeah. Uh, and give it a listen. We're we're both fans. Um, you were kind enough to ask our opinion on some things way back at the beginning when you, uh, what a few months ago when you started, uh, and we take that as a as a huge honour. So yeah. you know, um, we're fans, and long may it continue. It's a it's a it's a tricky thing sometimes, but um, we enjoy you. Yeah, and I think if. I think people who enjoy Twisted Britain would also enjoy Picture the Scene. Absolutely. Thank you. So everyone out there, tune in. Yeah, that's that's our plug for you. How's yeah. that? That's awesome. Appreciate <laughs> it. 
Um, you've prepared a case for us this evening, um, and Ali has as well. So I get the honor. The honour of just hosting a podcast. I haven't, I mean, even when you're doing it, I have something to, to dig you out. But, yeah. you know, uh, no, I get to sit back and listen tonight. And we're going to go old school Twisted Britain. We're going to flip a coin to see who goes first. Um, and we'll do that if you're ready to go for it, Andy. Yeah, it, and before you do, is it a pirate coin? I have, I can't find the pirate coin. I'm really, I think my daughter's a magpie. Um, so I have a... Measly two pence, which, you know, doesn't really mean anything anymore. But um, I'll allow you, Andy, to call heads or tails. Tails. It is tails. Would you like to go first or second? You know what? I'll, I'll go first if that's okay. That's, that's fine. Great with us. Yeah, carry on. Perfect. Give give I time to have some more lubrication. Yep. <laughs> so I'll, I'll, I'll crack on. Is that, is that okay? Yeah, that's all right. And as long as you don't mind us chipping in every now and again, just you go for it. No, no, feel free to interrupt. So I just need to give a disclaimer before I say this. I may be British, but Ireland has been my adopted home for several years now. So I thought I'd bring you something from Ireland. And and if you're being pedantic about it, this is from when the British still ruled Ireland. So technically, some might argue it, it is British, although I'm not getting into that debate right, right now. So I do th- like th- that because that gives me an option into doing a few crimes. I've never really thought about that. So yeah, no... When it was occupied, we can go for it. Yeah. yeah. Technically, I've gone for British colonies once, I think. I was going to say, does that include <laughs> India and all sorts that we could do there? Yeah. Oh, well, cool. Anyway, sorry, Andy, yeah. Andy on you go. No, that's fine. So this case is described by some, by some places as Ireland's last witch burning. But I actually don't think that's true. And I'm going to get to the reason later why. Um, but and I, I ask you both to give me your opinions on it. it whenever you realize it is or it isn't. So I want to take you back to 1895, and I want to present to you a puzzle and get your opinion on who was right. So we're in March of 1895, and for the large part, we're between the 13th to the 16th of March in the town of Ballyvedley in County Tipperary. Now, I want to introduce you to a Bridget Boland Cleary, who lived in said time, and she was either 25 or 26, but rather uncharacteristically for the time and place she lived, she was not like most women at that time. She was married, but despite being married, she was fiercely independent. She was also literate, which again was unusual for that time, for Ireland anyway, rural Ireland, and she was a very successful businesswoman. And some have argued, and I agree with some, some are um, very clever people, so I agree with them, that they, she was more successful than her husband, who was nine years older than her and was called Michael Cleary. Now, these now, are all very rare things for a woman of that type. Like, yeah, definitely. Your entire list there, for, you know, even as simple as literacy and, and, and things like that, that's the fact that she must have been quite something. Yeah, yeah she, she started off selling eggs, and then she moved on to buying a... Singer sewing machine, which which was top of the range back then, and she turned it into a successful business. Oh, good honour. Although it's uncommon for the time, it's more common in Scotland and Ireland that derived from the Celtic cultures for women to have a more prominent uh, place in society. There's lots more. Because they'd be dealing with the textiles and all that kind of stuff anyway. Yes, and because women had to fight. There were female clan chiefs. Oh, yeah, okay. There were female That's Irish true. clan chiefs as well. One of the most famous uh, British pirates of all time, Grace O'Malley, was uh, an Irish clan chief. We've mentioned Grace before, wow. yeah. 
There you go. Although this was eighteen ninety five, I don't know there was many pirates back then, or was there? Uh, no, you'd been out of the piracy period by then. Certainly, even out of the privateering period by a good fifty or sixty years. Yeah. Um, but I suppose the the lineage of a strong woman runs runs through them. Yeah, no doubt. So, so Bridget, she lived with her husband in a cottage, and also with her father Patrick, and they didn't have any children. Which again in Ireland, in rural Ireland at that time, was quite unusual. Seem- so seemingly, though, they had quite a happy life together. There were no reports of any type of abuse, and her husband let her be. Oh, she could be, which shows in the business that she had. Now, I will send you a picture of them both, Bob, for your social medias afterwards. And, Thank you. And I was actually, I was actually thinking. Ali, that you could flex your new iPad muscles and post it yourself. <laughs> I could try. It's an exciting iPad. I have never been happier than somebody else calling Ali out on social media. Cheers, Andy. <laughs> I love it. I'll do it. Okay, I'll hold you to that. So, I mean, Bob will have not... to show me how to do it. <laughs> Maybe press the button for me. <laughs> it, we're, we're in March in 1895, and unfortunately, Bridget becomes ill. And it's an illness that did not go away quickly. So she was forced to take some herbal medicines, but it didn't help. So Bridget's husband, Michael, did what any husband would do. He sent for the doctor. Now, this is 1895 in rural Ireland, so the doctor wasn't close, and he couldn't attend straight away, but he sent word saying that he was on his way and he would be there in a couple of days. But they did live in a small community, so small communities always know what's going on with everyone else, and they do what people do best which is gossip. So while they were waiting for the doctor, gossip began circulating that Bridget was no longer Bridget. In fact, she was a changeling and she had been swapped by a fairy for an imposter. So a doppelganger, so to speak, um, which is obviously it happened. normal gossip. I'm loving this. <laughs> so, but luckily the doctor arrived before the gossip could escalate. And while he couldn't pinpoint the complaint, I'm guessing probably because he was a small rural doctor and it was 1895, he did have a good guess. He said that she probably had either TB or bronchitis. And while she was sick, her life wasn't at risk. So he prescribed some medicine so she'd get better and he left. Now, unfortunately for Bridget, it doesn't end there. Her husband and father, Michael and Patrick, didn't agree with the doctor. So they subsequently sent for the local priest so he could read Bridget her last rites prior to her dying. Now, we have the priest who was a father, Ryan. He came pretty quickly because I guess unlike doctors, priests have to be pretty sharpish when they're called to read the last rites. <laughs> yeah. But what, There's also probably one, more of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah, definitely. But once Father Ryan got there, he examined Bridget and he duly informed both her husband, Michael, and her father, Patrick, that she was not dying. He didn't need to read her last rites, and there was no need for him to return as long as they gave her the medicine given to them by the doctor. So again, you'd think, happy days. They, they'd been told twice, give her the medicine, she'll survive. What a pragmatic but, priest as well. Yeah. I know. I'm, I'm just surprised the, when I read that. All right. See you later. Yeah, it was, yeah. But, but unfortunately, both her father and husband wasn't happy with priest's response and they didn't believe him. Now, I mentioned that the gossip existed that she was a changeling and it seems the origin of that gossip was her father and her brother. Oh. So, uh, Bridget 
didn't get immediately better. And it's probably because she wasn't given the medicine that was meant for her. So they were quick now to openly denounce her and tell anyone who would listen that she was a changeling because she she wouldn't die, but she wouldn't get better. When you say she wasn't given the medicine that would fix her, do you mean <clears throat> by the doctor or the people who no. had been administering it? By the father and brother, yeah. I think. Yeah. By the father and brother. So the doctor gave it to the father and brother. And it was and the, were, right, the right stuff for her. They just weren't giving it to her. Yeah, because they, they didn't uh, trust the doctor. They oh. thought that she was dying. Okay. So, but they didn't give her nothing, though. They did perform various rituals on her and home remedies to either get her better or to banish a changeling. I couldn't find out what, but I think, it doesn't really matter. I think it probably if you banish a changeling, you probably get better. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so, yeah, one is the other. You're right there. But what I, what I can gather, though, is that the rituals got worse and worse and more brutal. And what is recorded is that one of the rituals was urine, so being thrown over her. So they basically just threw some piss on her. So I don't know. I'm not quite sure how that would make her get better, but they I, thought that it would do. I mean, if she was cold. Yeah, that's true. Was it? Was it? Say, was he saying dodgeball? Is it? It's. I like the. It's sterile, and I like the taste. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure she didn't say that. <laughs> Patches of Hulahan. That's right. So the yeah, stop making me laugh, Bob. Um, so the the doctor coming and the priest was all on the 13th of March. By the 14th of March, she hadn't gotten better, unsurprisingly. And her husband and father became more and more convinced that she was a changeling. I mean, she wouldn't die, so she wouldn't get better. So she had to be a changeling. It's the only other option, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, when you're, I know when I'm sick, I become a changeling. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, do you know the reason why? I, I haven't put this in my notes here, but the reason why that her father and her brother... Sorry, her father and her husband thought she was a changeling. Yes. Because they said that she was too good for them. So because she was too good for them, she had to be a changeling. Because she was a a reasonably successful, strong Irish woman. That can't can't be right. Yeah. I like the word changeling. What 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 are we meaning by, like, possessed by a demon or something? No, her body, she had been changed. Her body, she'd been taken away. And a new supernatural like being had been put there. Essentially swapped out, yeah. The fairies yeah. in Celtic folklore had the power to change shape. Um, and fairies would steal a real baby and replace it with their baby. And their baby would assume the shape of the real baby that was stolen. And nobody would be any the wiser. That's what they believed. Chameleon babies. Chameleon babies. Right, okay. Well, there you go. So on the 14th of March, so the day after... Father Ryan was called back, and he found Bridget highly agitated, but alive. Now, Father Ryan told, sorry, Michael, her husband, told the father he hadn't been giving her the medicine, uh, with the Father Ryan Father Ryan later saying that Michael had told him that what they were doing to her would be better than any medicine from a doctor. So the father did what all fathers did, Father Ryan. He gave a communion, and he left. Thanks, so, Father Ryan. Yeah. So it's reported that some neighbours came around and an argument began, which was not, the argument wasn't detailed anywhere, but the subject wasn't, is she a changeling or not? The subject was actually about what fairies can and can't do. So they'd actually, 
Michael and Patrick had actually convinced all the neighbours that she was a changeling by now. The argument was just, what can she do and what can't she do? Is, so during this, is she, so worth, during, is, is sorry. she worth, no, sorry, is she worth keeping essentially? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, so during the argument, Michael tried to force feed his wife some herbs, and he had an because he had an important question that he needed her to answer, and he thought if he forced fed her herbs, she would answer it. And do you know what that question was? Are you a changeling? No, it wasn't actually. Well, sort of it was. Yeah, the question was. In these words, in the name of God, who are you? So, yeah, I guess so. Are you a changeling? Yeah. yeah. I was going to go, are you passing those herbs? No? <laughs> yeah. Pass the duchy <laughs> to the left-hand side. <laughs> no, I think it was that type of herb. They might have been a little bit more mellow with her. Uh, but, okay. But in order to help her give... They wanted to help her answer the question. So in order to help her give an answer to them, they lifted her up and they held her over the open fireplace. Uh, so that which is obviously going to help someone tell you who you they are if you if you're burning to death. That would encourage but, me. Yes, I'm concerned about the people holding her. They'd be getting burnt too. True, true. I, no, one on one on each limb. Yes. Uh, while she was over the fire, they demanded that she tell them her three names that she had to prove that she wasn't a changeling. Now I was thinking about this, and you'd think. If a fairy had the power to swap her for a changeling, surely they would know what her name was? Yeah, you you would hope so. She would hope so. She didn't actually confess, but at some point, and this is my favourite part about this story, at some point she told her husband that the only person that had gone off with the fairies was his mother. So she managed to get a your mum joke in when... (laughs) when she was being held over the fire. So you've got, I think that's impressive. I, I like that a lot. I've got a lot of time for this woman so far. Changeling or not, she's pretty cool. <laughs> so eventually they put her to bed because she wouldn't admit that she was a changeling. So she was still alive. Sorry, I've just but, thought, is that where Away With The Fairies comes from? Do you reckon that's where the phrase comes from? I don't know, but it's an interesting entomological thought. I like it. I'm going to look into that. Yeah, I just like, she's gone with the fairies. Like, she's she's gone a bit mad. I don't know. It makes sense. Sorry, I just sat sat and thought about that for a second. Sorry, Andy. (laughs) That's fine. Uh, Now, all night, apparently, she rigged in delirium. Probably because they fought for the herbs. She was sick and they held over a fire. But for (laughs) for her husband, Michael, and her father... It proved that she was a changeling. I think everything proves that she was a changeling by now. It's like that whole uh, witch thing. If they float, they're a witch. If they don't, they're a witch. They're dead. (laughs) So the next day, Michael, being a good husband, he made tea for his wife. And then he tried to force feed her some bread. Now, the witnesses, we have to remember the witnesses are actually the neighbours who are helping him. But the witnesses reported that she weekly ate two slices of bread, which you wouldn't eat a third. Now, it's worth noting, when we say force-feeding, he literally f- threw her to the ground, held her by the throat, and forced it into her mouth. So, you know, he'll make her tea, be nice and pleasant, and then be brutally assault her. So, it's really <laughs> odd. Attack her with bread. Yes. So Signs of psychopathy. Signs of a bad toasty. Really bad toasty. 
<laughs> can you get a bad toast? I don't think you can get a bad toast. No. Yeah, there's no such thing. It's one of my favourite things if you go out for a walk and you go past a pub that's got chips and toasties as the ah, lunch menu. You fucking nailed it for me. I, I hate yeah. all this. Like, I don't want a full meal. I just want a chips and a cheese and ham toastie and a pint. Exactly. And if you're feeling a bit posh, you're lucky if you get a few slices of the cucumber with it. Oh, no. I'd replace them with another pint. Yeah, <laughs> true. Fair enough. <laughs> Uh, so, but Michael, her husband, because she wouldn't eat the third slice of bread, he grabbed a burning piece of wood from the kitchen fire and he started threatening with her, her with it. Now, unluckily for Bridget, her shirt—I can't pronounce this word—but I'll try her chemise. Is that right? It yeah. it caught fire. Yeah. During, it caught fire during this act. So Michael, being the nice husband that he is, he thought he was this opportunity. And he grabbed some kerosene oil and he poured it over her, helping her fire along. So, unsurprisingly, at this point, Bridget died. That's, she burned to death. That's a fair outcome from that scenario. Not a fair outcome. And uh, Ali helped. It escalated quickly. It escalated yes. quickly. It did escalate quickly, <laughs> yes. Now, the following day, it's not reported who, but someone reported her missing. Now, when my core husband was questioned, questioned, he simply said, his wife had been taken away by the fairies and he actually subsequently held a vigil for her. And from what I can gather, he was believed by everyone, including the police. Until that is, Father Ryan came in to save the day. So he intervened and after five days of searching, they found her body in a shadow grave, charred and burned. Now, nine, day, nine people in total were arrested and they all held, and they were all charged with wounding, except for Michael, who was also charged with murder. Do we know, sorry, where where he put the body? Was it like just in the the garden or the church? Yeah, it was in, I, I believe off the top of my head, I believe it was in some woods nearby. He just buried it, basically. He'd just gone out the end of the cul-de-sac and flung it in the woods. <laughs> yeah, something like that, I believe. But, but it's interesting. It, I think it shows that he kind of knew she wasn't a changeling because he lied. When, when she, when they came to look for her, he was like, "No, she's been taken away by the fairies." When he knew that she hadn't, because he'd got rid of the body. He lied, and he he, he made a point of disposing of it. Like if he was convinced she was a changeling, then I suppose he would have thought he hadn't done anything wrong by getting rid. Of, still, has done something wrong, but yeah. certainly less than if she hadn't been a changeling in her in his mind. If we are assuming that he did believe she was a changeling, um, then as soon as she died, he would have known. Because when a fairy dies, it's supposed to revert back to its original form. Uh, so as soon as, as soon as she died, if he did believe that she was a changeling, he would then have known, oh dear, she wasn't a changeling. She, she, I have in fact just toasted my daughter. Yeah. Yeah, so you gotta yeah. Go, you've got to go off the fact that he probably didn't, he didn't know, well, sorry, you've got to go off the fact that he knew at some point that he, she wasn't. Yes. Be it before yeah. or after, it definitely happened. Yeah, but right. once he once he was burying her, he knew. Right. Yeah. So he, shit, like, so he shit himself and lied to people. Probably. Now, it's, it's, it's worth noting, actually, all the neighbours, they kept silent until they got arrested, and that's where the witnesses came in, because as soon as they got arrested, it was like, yeah, no, he did it. So they... It's like, they, it's like almost the... the, the um, kind of hot fuzz small town mentality type thing isn't it it's yeah. like 
Yeah, no, no, no. We're not saying anything. Everything's absolutely perfect here. No, no, nothing's gone wrong. It's all for the greater good. <laughs> I'd be surprised if Timothy Dalton popped up at some point in <laughs> eighteen ninety five Ireland, but it's screaming crusty jugglers at the top of it, yeah. Now, where where was I here? So they were all uh, he was charged with murder. Now at the trial, the post mortem revealed that she had been badly beaten, she had exposed bone, strangulation marks, and there was evidence of burning, I guess because her body was charred. And in- yeah, that, that's reasonable evidence of burning. Yes. The trial was actually big news. It hit the headlines in Britain and in Canada, as well as all of Ireland. And in the end, four people were found guilty of wounding. And Michael was found guilty, not of murder, but of manslaughter. And he was given 15 years in prison. Wounding is a, an interesting charge. I suppose, is that, are we assuming that's the same as a, 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 like being an accessory to? Uh, uh, yeah, possibly. It might be just the equivalent of, I'm guessing here, but maybe like the equivalent of ABH or GBH, what it is yeah, nowadays. Yeah, grievous bodily harm. So we're saying that four people attacked her as well as the burning is, is what they were charged with. Just wound, yeah. I've, I've just never heard wounding as a, as a charge. I had an, it might be an Irish thing. Say, maybe it is an Irish thing, yeah. No, I mean, not that we're any experts at all, but, you know, it just... Get Sinead. I think it's, yeah, one that we would maybe have heard of if it was like a regular thing. But Michael, he was given 15 years in prison, so I, he probably died in prison because if he was 25, 26, that'd make him 34, 35-ish, which was already past the life expectancy at that time, so an extra 15 years... It was basically a life sentence. Fuck. Now, you're going to love this, Bob. Because of this, firstly, my question is, I don't think this can be the last witch burning in Ireland because if we're taking it literally, it was the last fairy burning in Ireland, not the last witch burning. Yes, I like the... Yes, I suppose it depends how you categorise it in, in law. I suppose you could argue that the law maybe didn't see fairy burnings as a thing. So that's the write-up. But I'm with you. That's not a witch trial to me. Yeah, I would say whether she was a suspected to be a changeling or not, she was never accused of or thought of to be practicing witchcraft. It's not a witch burning. No, she wasn't burnt for being a witch. And it's interesting because I thought, having not never heard that before, I thought when you told us earlier that she was a successful woman and she'd she'd made she'd done well with herself and all that kind of stuff. My initial thoughts were, when we talk about witches, it tends to be the ones that people don't understand that they accuse of witchcraft. So you go, she's much better than me, witch. Yeah, that yes. happened a lot. It's that, and that's genuinely where I thought you were going. The whole changeling fairy stuff is absolutely new to me. I, don't, I didn't know anything about all that. But I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with, I'm going with you, that was a fairy burning, but I reckon it was probably written up as witch burning because they didn't know how to write it. Probably, yeah. So this part, I'm going to end on this part, and you'll, I think you'll like this, Bob. Mm. There was a popular nursery rhyme that still exists nowadays, up to now, that Irish children still sing about this when nice. they're playing jump rope. I love this. So I'm going to, do you want to hear it? And I don't oh, normally absolutely. Absolutely, rhyme. Yes. So it goes like this. Are you a witch or are you a fairy? Or are you the wife of Michael Cleary? And then they just repeat that over and over until they stop jumping. That's like a, so, like a two people holding a skipping rope thing. Yeah. Yes, are and one in the middle jumping. Are you a fairy? Are you? Yeah, oh, it could yeah. be creepy. You could see the girl from The Shining. 
chanting it. Yeah, it is quite. A lot of these um, jump rope songs and nursery rhymes and stuff, I've done a, the Patreon episode on nursery rhymes and, and I only scratched the surface. Some of them are dark as fuck. I mean, that I is. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't heard that episode. Oh, I will. Probably you, because I was never a Patreon before coming here. Yeah, and you're lucky I let you into it these days. That's true. Um, <laughs> that was brilliant. Hey, that was a really good one. I enjoyed that. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I actually, I'm, I'm not plugging my pod here, but coincidentally, my pod that I released today, the episode is about someone being burnt alive uh, for for love. So it's a um, it's a strange coincidence. Yeah. Then I'll plug your pod. I don't care. You should go and listen to all eleven episodes of Picture of the Scene. Now that you've actually, heard how good Andy actually is. Um, I've, deleted, I've deleted one of them, so there's only 10 available. Well, listen to one of them twice, and then you can get yes. 11. There you are. <laughs> nice. Did you delete one, did you? And the very first one, because it was before Rachel joined, and um, it was a bit shit, if I'm being honest. And everyone kept... I had, like, four times as many listeners to that than any other one. People coming and listen to that one and then never listening to another one, so I thought, I'll get rid of that one. Uh, don't don't worry about that. Our first episodes, the ones I did with Nadine, are still up. And I'm while I'm proud of them. You look at um, the stuff we recorded on and everything at the time. You go, that was hard work. <laughs> we did do one test recording that we'll never release. Ooh, did you? Yeah, but maybe when you're famous, Bob, when you're being sold for a hundred million, it will get released. Yeah, a lot more than that will come out, and I'll be in a lot of trouble. Um, but no, yeah, cheer- thank you very much for that, Andy. And um, since you have uh, regaled us with uh, a tale of Irish past, Alistair is going to regale you and me with a tale of uh, Scottish history past. Absolutely. However, if you don't mind, I'm going to go and grab a beer. So we went and uh, did our usual and pinched a couple of drinks from the bar. We didn't pinch them, we bought them. Well, we'll pay for them later. Yeah, we haven't paid for them yet. No, we'll pay for them later, it's fine. Sometimes we don't pay for them for months. I think it's your round tonight. Awesome. I mean, I'm going to say that every week, but never mind. Um, so I get to do sit my back, second... Sit back and do nothing again. My second version of sit back and do fuck all, which is I'm, I'm loving this. I'm loving this. I'm livid. Maybe you can just come along every time, Andy, and you and Ali can just tell me crime. That would be wonderful. Um, Why not? So we've gone from uh, rural <laughs> Ireland to the streets of Edinburgh. We are. We are on the streets of Edinburgh. Um, this week, I have brought a case, since Andy's here... That is not intriguing or perplexing, but it is, I think, very exciting. And it's important, I think, as well. It's seminal. The brutal planned killing of a police officer in Edinburgh. But not just a police officer, though. The very first official police officer ever to be murdered in the UK. Or anywhere, I think, in the line of duty. I would say UK. Where had an official police force before the UK? Uh, official police force is a tricky statement, isn't it? Yeah, because even uh, Britain has had law enforcement agencies before... The Bow Street Runners. The Bow Street, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But they weren't official police forces. Okay, I'll let you away with that. And obviously, since we're talking about the very first ever murdered officer, we're going back a fair time to the very beginning of the first police forces in the UK. We're probably going back a little farther than conventional knowledge would guess. Most people, when asked about the first police force, would come up with a famous name, and I'm sure Andy and Bob can guess it, Robert Peel. 
Mr. Peel. Mr. Peel. I was just thinking that. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what date that was, but you're telling me it's before then. Yes, it is. Uh, Robert Peel established the first official police force in London in 1829. Was it as early as I thought it was? 40s, sorry. No, 1829, uh, and he's widely considered the father of British policing. Uh, However, as again, I'm sure Andy and Bob know where I'm going with this, we know that Scots invented everything. Oh, yeah, that's true. And that everything that somebody else claims to have invented or fathered, they probably nicked from us. They certainly invented the best podcast where people drink in the Settle Inn. They did. That's that's a fact. Does this mean, then, if the Scottish invented everything... That all the answers about Wuhan really started in like Glasgow or somewhere instead. Yes, I mean I'm not going to say it didn't come out the Clyde, um, but <laughs> some there's some days where you can walk on it. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> it's pretty bogging. And, and by the time you get to the other end, you've got a shopping choice to get a quid out of as well. Haven't yeah, you? but you don't catch COVID because you're fucking immune to everything. If you can survive the Clyde, <laughs> very little can kill you. That was a question in the pub quiz on Sunday. Um, Apologise for interrupting. Not up. It was one of the Pac-Men ghosts. Um, and we took the guess that Leslie would be a weirdo and go with the one that was called Clyde. She nice. didn't. It was Blinky. Bitch. Inky, Pinky, Blinky and Clyde. <laughs> yeah. So she probably knew we were going to say Clyde, so just changed it. I still haven't forgiven pub quizzes for Sebastian the Lobster. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, episode's, that episode's not out yet, but um, Andy... Sebastian from The Little Mermaid. Yeah. Crab or lobster? Uh, well, I haven't actually seen it. Oh, nice. But, but I, think I've, I think I've seen he's in, or she, or they, or them, are in the, um, are in the images for it, aren't they? And it looks like a lobster, doesn't it? Ah, uh, thank think. you. God damn you. You can join my team, that's fine. <laughs> Moving quickly on. The very first... Uh, UK professional police forces were in fact established in the cradle of civilization, Glasgow. I mean, it's one way of putting it. Almost 30 years before Robert and his peelers, as they were called, uh, the Glasgow Police Act went through Parliament and Glasgow had the first ever official police force. Is that a fact? Yeah, briefly. Okay. Glasgow of 1800 had even less love for regimented enforced law than Glasgow today. Is that because of all the uh, mad secretarianism and stuff that was going on? Yeah, and they didn't last long, but it set a trend. And before long, police forces were popping up all over the country. <laughs> like a franchise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Edinburgh's was established in 1805, which is still a good... 24-ish. Yeah, 24 years before the Peelers were anywhere around. Where did the Peelers start? Where was the, London. Was, that was London. Yeah. Right. And in 1805, the non-criminal element of Edinburgh really took to the idea of police. Um, in 1805, Edinburgh was a weird-ass place. I mean, yeah, it was. Still a weird-ass place. I love it. But it was in the point where they'd have been... Uh, would they have been starting to fill in the lake at that point and building on top of everything? And, and it was a very changing city. It was a very changing city. The centre of the old town was becoming poorer. The outskirts were becoming richer. I drive through the old town every day going to work. It's really cool. The place is mad. Yeah. So, oh, I've only been to Edinburgh once, but isn't Edinburgh a place where that little dog on the TV, on the movies that was on every Christmas? Great Fires Bobby. Bobby. Yeah. That's one, yeah. It was his like 200th birthday or something stupid like that recently. Yeah. 
Oh, that's an old dog. He'll be getting a pension. I mean, he's made of brass now, so... I maintain no. that the dog wasn't brave at all and that uh, he was actually buried with his lead in his hand and the, still attached to the collar. Oh. To be fair, if, if a dog has hands, then he can be whatever he wants to be. That, that is true. You've, I think you've just saddened my childhood. I've <laughs> ruined Greyfriars Bobby for you. I'm not sure I want to continue this nonsense now. Anyway, by, by 1811, uh, the Edinburgh Police Force had been active for... A good few years and had begun to make life really difficult for small time petty criminals in Edinburgh. A lot of them. There were a lot of them. However, just because they were petty doesn't mean they were disorganised or not dangerous. The gangs of petty thieves who prowled the Royal Mile had a particular dislike of the new police force since they had frequently been chased off or put off marks by the police over the past few years. So in December of 1811, as New Year approached, the petty thief gangs got together and decided to do something about the situation. I'm on the Royal Mile tomorrow. I'm going to take a photo and send it to you. Absolutely. You can go two places. Yeah. I will mention. I'll do that. That's my lunch break tomorrow. Picture the scene. Yeah, I'll picture the scene. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, just because, as I said, they weren't disorganized, that also doesn't mean they weren't well organized. The plan, such as it was, seems to have been simply to mass at the Tron Gate and then cause a riot up the Royal Mile, robbing anybody they felt like and gang beating any police who dared to show up. Solid plan. Solid plan. I think something similar happened in 2011, did it not, in London? Well. (laughs) Calling these gangs petty thieves may have been giving the wrong impression, though these weren't Oliver Twisk-esque sort of thieves. They've not got to pick a pocket or two and then sing a jolly song. All right, governor. No, these were vicious gang muggers. Standard procedure was to work in groups using hand signals and code words. A spotter would clock someone and then signal... Everyone converges on the target, following or getting ahead. And then when a code word is shouted, the victim is jumped, violently beaten. And then while they're dazed, they're relieved of any valuables they may have been carrying. What, what, what was a code word? Because surely they could just shout, get him. I was, you've literally just taken the words out of my mouth, Andy. I was going to say, what's your code word? And oh, the code word for one of the gangs, the Nidri Street Gang. We've, we've talked about the Nidri Street Gang before, yeah. Yep. Uh, their code word was dram. Oh, we dram. Yeah, just the word dram. Dram. But what would your code word be? I, I wouldn't attack anyone ever. A, a, a code word is not a safe word, Ali. We know you've got one of those. <laughs> oh, my safe word is banana. Yeah. <laughs> but I've never said it. <laughs> Which is weird, because when he shows it in the street, we all run away. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, uh, most of these gangs were tied to streets in or around the Royal Mile. The Cannons Gate Gang, the Grass Market Gang, the Nidri Street Gang, as we said. The reason for this is Edinburgh itself at the time. Um, as Bob said, wealthy families and merchants began moving into the emergent new Georgian areas to the north of the town where all the money was and out of the old town. This left the older, poorer town, while at the same time containing everything that might be interesting to a slightly drunk aristocrat at three in the morning, Bars, brothels, bare knuckle boxing. Ah, it was also the three Bs. The three Bs, yeah. <laughs> Everything that's fun starts with B. Yeah, Bob, boobies. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but to get to all these fun Bs, aristocrats would have to negotiate the royal mile and I'm get sorry. past I'm the just, gangs. Just pictured a bee in like a wee party crown, just a fun bee. <laughs> a fun bee. I hate bees. Getting back, Johnny Bee actually. You went, what's a Jollibee is a, I'm going to educate you guys here. A Jollibee is 
the national equivalent of McDonald's in the Philippines, and the mascot is a giant bee looking very happy. So maybe that's where they took it from, like a like a fast food joint. Um, yeah, fast food eats McDonald's, but in the Philippines, in you get in in the fast foods, you get rice and uh, pasta is very popular, even in McDonald's. So, but the, but the the national one is Jollibee. The Jollibee, it's, I love that. I love good. useless information, and I guarantee I will never forget that. <laughs> They've opened some up in the UK. So, if you're ever in, I think Liverpool, Birmingham, or London, I went to one in London last year. It, it's quite tasty, actually. Yeah, give it a go. And on. Uh, an unplanned advert for Jolly Bee. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I went off on a tangent because when he, he said B, I just had this image of a massive Jolly Bee in my head. Yeah, nice. Do you know, I was in a McDonald's once. We'll carry our tangents here. In Romania, in a uh, town called Tigamuras. Tigamuras. I probably said that wrong. Anyway. Uh, and do you know, one, one of the options for your drink with your meal is what? Canastella. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I had a can of Stella. Nice. I don't even drink meal. anymore, but immediately Stella brings back happy memories. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Happy meal and a wife beer. <laughs> if what if you get like a if you get a happy meal, do you get like a little wife beer vest with it as well then? No, you just get a half can. Ah, ah that's rubbish. <laughs> if you don't get a John McLean vest. We've we've gone on off on one there, Al. Yeah, sorry. Let's get back to the night in question. It's New Year's Eve. Not long before the bells, when the gangs began making a disturbance near the thout. Sorry. Getting back to the night in question, it was New Year's Eve, not long before the bells, when the gangs began making a disturbance near the South Bridge. The streets were busy with people, but it's worth noting that it wouldn't it would have been nothing like Hogmanay in Edinburgh today. No. The idea of street parties was still over a hundred years from being introduced, and New Year in Scotland was a more traditional celebration of visiting friends and family for the ubiquitous dram. Nobody outside of the upper-upper-class planned house parties. Spontaneous celebrations would simply break out when enough people randomly converged on the same place. A proper street party. Proper street party, exactly. But The ubiquitous dram, is that a thing? It is now that I've said it, yeah. I've, I've been in a pub called that. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> is that where you got it? No. No, okay. You... <laughs> uh, Ubiquitous just means uh, the same everywhere. Okay. Uh, maybe. Is it in Ashton Lane in Glasgow? I can't remember. I think it is. Anyway. There's also the ubiquitous chip in Glasgow. That's maybe what I'm thinking of. Sorry, Andy, we've just... Yeah, no, sorry, no, Andy, we digressed. <laughs> anyway, back to... I was just, I was just wondering if, if everyone got together like spontaneously when there's enough people for a dram... If someone asks someone if they wanted a drink, if someone just heard the word dram, does that mean they automatically jumped on each other to try and beat them up and rob them? <laughs> I hope so. Every time they walked past that ubiquitous dram, they yep. just jumped everyone. I really hope so. Anyway, the troubles that were starting down at the South Bridge developed. The first victim of the night's violence was Francis James Hughes. Francis was, like most Scots that night, on his way to visit friends across the town. He was walking between the North and South Bridge. As he passed a close, he heard a shout, possibly dram, uh, <laughs> probably the order to strike, and suddenly three or four men knocked him to the ground and kicked and robbed him. Francis staggers to his feet, but the thugs were not done. Yet again, they laid into him, leaving him bleeding and badly injured in the street. And now penniless as well. So... He's just somebody they came across. 
Yeah, they've just basically planned to riot, rob everybody, and beat up any police who come close. So the the plan is charge. Yeah, exactly. Uh, another gentleman, Robert Hogg Laurie, was heading towards the area as midnight approached. A gang of men surround him and ask for some money for a drink. Roger hands over a crown in the hope that the implied generosity would save him from a beating. Who's... Oh, <laughs> a crown as in the penny. Yeah. No, I thought... <laughs> not, not an actual crown, Bob. <laughs> I'm just, I'm he just didn't a... have a crown. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm only on my second pint. <laughs> I know. The crown didn't help either. Uh, as Roger went to pass the group, he was knocked down. Jumping quickly to his feet, Roger was face to face with a thug armed with a cane. As the man raised the cane to strike Roger, he held up his arms to protect himself. The man quickly grabs Roger's pocket watch and runs for it. But luckily for Roger, the chain snapped and all the thug got was the chain. Probably still worth some money. Yeah, uh, but Roger would have to avoid a further kicking by volunteering all the money that he had left on his person. Yeah. <laughs> I think if anybody jumped me in the street and nicked everything I had and I went, I'll give you all my money to... To not give me a kick in, I'd probably get a kick in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But George was lucky. He didn't get the brutal kicking. Not everybody was lucky. Was as lucky as George. The manager of an insurance company, Nicole Allen, must have done something pretty shitty in a previous life because karma was out to get him. By now, the method is fairly familiar to us. Blow from behind, followed by many more when he tried to stand up. And then while dazed and insensible, he was robbed. But this time, getting up from the attack, Nicole staggered up the Royal Mile, trying to get away from the trouble. However, he would walk right into another gang, who would mug him for a second time. The beating this time even more severe. Can we just take a moment? Since now he had nothing left to mug. Just take a moment here, Alistair. The elation in that man's mind from fucking making it away. Yeah. Destroyed in a second. Yeah. I'm, I'm out, I'm out. Oh, I'm fucked. I'm fucked. I've, got, I've literally got nothing this time. <laughs> While all this was going on and the troubles were starting, the gangs were also beating up any police that they happened to see who were foolish enough to try and stop them. The first thing the gangs would do was smash the officers' rattles, which was their way of calling for backup. Uh, look a up. rattle? Like a baby's rattle? Yep. I'm not sure why they were why we issued our first officers with rattles instead of whistles or bells. Probably, um, probably cheaper. Me possibly. Uh, well, just it's take, also possible take, that the, take it off the babies. It's also possible that the sound of bells or whistles in the street might have been more common in sort of an industrial times. Oh, um, not not on the Royal Mile. I wouldn't have thought. That's all. That's pure conjecture. I'm just guessing as to why yeah, they had rattles. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of churches that run up the Royal Mile, um, but uh, and and the Market Cross would be there. In fact, the Market Cross is pretty much bang on halfway up. Yeah, there are Market Cross gangs. Um, but I, maybe, because it's quite, if you've ever been on the Royal Mile, it's quite high, not, I mean, not relatively worldwide, but it's quite an enclosed street. Yeah, maybe it's the, tall. Maybe the, tra- the rattle travels better. I don't know. I'm t- like, fuck it, you're conjecturing. Here I am. Yeah. What they had was babies' rattles. Yeah. They probably took, weren't babies' rattles. Took them from home. More like those things that, Football fans have. Wee. No, I don't. I can't. What That's it. There. Anyway, many officers would be injured tonight. Some of them very seriously. Police watchman Robert Bryce was left permanently disabled after the beating he received. But it is also recorded that he was granted a weekly allowance until his death in 1814. So 
also possibly the first ever police pension. Okay. We're ticking some boxes here. Yeah. Back to our tale, though. Uh, Most of the police had retreated up the Royal Mile in an attempt to keep vital fluids inside their bodies and bones whole and unsnapped. The preference of the day. Yeah. The situation near the Tron was deteriorating quickly, and it was incredibly dangerous. There are some men, though, who laugh in the face of fear, who tweak the nipples of terror and drop ice cubes down the vest of adversity. David Hasselhoff. Not David Hasselhoff. (laughs) Such a man was Midnight Watchman Dougald Campbell. Oh, God, I really thought his name was going to be Midnight something there. (laughs) (laughs) Such a man was Midnight Lavore. Midnight James, running down the Royal Mile. Yeah. (laughs) As a Midnight Watchman, Campbell was not on the scene from the outbreak of the Troubles that night. When he arrived, he probably had no idea how bad things were down there. The first man he spoke to in the Royal Mile was John Thompson, near the Market Cross. Thompson told Dougald Campbell not to go down the mile, as he would certainly be attacked. Campbell eyed Thompson incredulously. Then, with a shout of, Damn the fear! He disregarded this sound advice and proceeded down the Royal Mile towards the Tron. Uh, and I would guess, literally guessing, because the Market Cross sits on a, a square um, outside, between three buildings on one side, but it's quite a big square. I wonder if that was a better lit area than continuing down the Royal Mile to what is now Holyrood, essentially. Because yeah. it it becomes less of the main town the further down the Royal Mile it you does. get. So making your gangs easier to prey up, to be preyed upon by the gangs, sorry. Yeah. But I don't think I would stood there, stand there on the halfway up the hill, looking down the hill towards possibly a darker area, who knows. When somebody says I just wouldn't go down there if I was you. Damn the fear. Damn the fear. What a fan. He's an idiot. There's a fine line between heroinism and foolishness. I mean, heroinism. I was going to say, if he was on heroin. There's a fine line between heroism and foolishness. He might have been on heroin. Who knows? (laughs) It's ATF, 1812. He wasn't on heroin then. Maybe opium. But Campbell would quickly realise his mistake as he approached... A loud cry was heard. It's a polis! And a large mob of various gangs rushed him. Oh, fuck yeah, when you're cop, it's not just the one that's going to get you. Yeah. Campbell may have been brash and brave, but he wasn't a complete moron. At once, he turned tail and tried to escape back up the mile. But he was tripped by someone and went down. In an instant, he was surrounded by men with canes and sticks, all hitting him as hard as they could. A gang member shouted, It's the Royal Arch! which was a nickname that they had for Campbell since they had a particular dislike for him. Oh, so they knew specifically who he was. Oh, yeah. Uh, so why would you... You've got to think then. So you got, if he knew he was hated and every gang was out beating the police up, it's like, idiot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But there's probably a part of... Um, now, Ali will probably be able to tell me better than this, but the police force in the day wouldn't have been taken from all ranks of men. No. It was taken from a gentrified part of town. So they they probably had a bit of um, pompous pretense about them by being of a middle to upper class background with a bit of power. Yeah. And there was was more than one policeman who the gangs targeted that night. Uh, There was another one called Murray, who they really hated, but he wasn't wasn't on shift that night. Nah, that was Twilight John. Twilight John. Yeah. (laughs) Not like Midnight Midnight Laurie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, the gangs were 
all over Campbell, punching and kicking and beating him with sticks and canes. From the ground, Campbell shouted, Murder! Good. Are we yeah. go- we're going full tagger on this, are we? We are going... F- <laughs> it's not in Burger King. <laughs> Burger. Burger King! There's been a murder in Burger King. You've officially been fired, but finish this story. Okay. <laughs> I'll finish just this story and then leave. The gangs were all over Campbell, beating him and punching him. The spot where Dougald Campbell fell was actually right outside where the whiskey trail sits today. Oh, I'll go there tomorrow and I'll send you a photo. I don't know what the whiskey trail was in 1812. Don't know. Presumably it wasn't the whiskey trail, but that is where he went down. I don't know. This pub's been open since 1733, so why not? That's true. Find out, Bob. That's your job. Uh, Anyway, this brutal attack was witnessed by many people in the street, some of who tried to reach Campbell to help. John Black, a sailor, and John Thompson, who had warned Campbell before, both tried to get to him to render some aid, but both men were beaten back with sticks and canes by the gangs. What sticks and canes going on here? They weren't allowed knives. Ah, okay. So they were, so let me get this right, They, they were gangs of criminals going around beating people up, but they were like, no, we're not allowed knives, so let's leave them at home. Let's just get the sticks and canes. Yeah. They were honest robbers. <laughs> or dickheads, whichever one you want to go with. Some of them may have been armed with knives, but it's not mentioned that anyone was stabbed. So if they were armed with anything other than sticks or canes or fists or feet, they weren't used that night. Okay, maybe because they were on the mad uh, Royal Mile Rampage. Yeah. Which is uh, the headline act for the WWE next year. I really want you to name this episode Royal Mail Rampage. Royal Mail Rampage. I also want to see a WWE event. It might be Twisted Britain episode whatever, a f- burning a fairy during the Royal Mile Rampage. <laughs> Longest headline ever. <laughs> it is a long headline. Anyway, these gangs were intent. They were beating back bystanders who were trying to help. The beating wouldn't stop until the gangs heard from another runner that another possible police was back down at the Tron and they all ran off to fresher fun and games. There's a cop over there. Yeah, exactly. Get that one now. The gang's now gone. The two Johns, Black and Thompson, carried Campbell... (laughs) Midnight and Twilight. (laughs) Midnight and Twilight, John. (laughs) Carried Campbell to the nearest police station for care. Campbell was in a really bad way, conscious, but incapable of speech and in an incredible amount of pain. Mr. Gray, who lived in the police station... What? Say that again. Mr. Gray, who lived in the police station... (laughs) Was he part of a children's TV show? I'm not sure. He called the doctor. Men, <laughs> You can't just skip right over that like I'm not going to say anything. Men living in police stations is a fairly ubiquitous, boom, using that word again there, very good. Uh, thing around this time. I always assumed that they were former officers. It was just some dude. Um, that were sort of institutionalized individuals that couldn't give up the force, but that's pretty unlikely in a force that's just a few years old. That <laughs> oh, man, maybe he had a rough first month. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too old for this shit. I've seen some shit, man. A week from retirement. I just, I just need a desk job for a while. Or maybe it was just a space thing. People are living at this time in single ends, which are essentially cupboards. So, well, I mean, if, to be honest, if you go in, but they're still living top to tail on top of each other. Yeah, it's true. It's that, especially that part of uh, town where the Royal Mile is. It slopes down from there to what used to be the lake where the train station now is. But they literally just built on top, on top, on top, on top, on top. And forgot about the shit below. And it was tiny little residences. We did the Burke and Hare thing. We were talking about them living in a, a one-room, piss, eat, sleep yeah. area. 
Edinburgh's a mad-ass place. Yeah. So maybe it's just a space thing. I once There was a space where a man could live, so he lived there. Yeah, I was in the um, uh, the tunnels underneath recently. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, I was I was doing a wee thing, and I walked around with a guide, and I was going out before the, the tour was finished. And he said, uh, do you know your way back? I was like, yeah, man, no, no bother. It's just like left, straight on. He was like, it's only candlelight. You don't have my torch with you. You'd be all right. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never shit my knickers like that in my life, man. Honestly, I turned around the corner and went, I've never been here. This is new. <laughs> I've never been here. I had. It was, there was only one way out. Did you then look behind you and go, I've never been there either. <laughs> God, man, honestly. And I walked through this. I'll, I'll show you some pictures. And Andy, I'll send you them after this, these pictures I took. And it's like all the wee... And it was part of the crypt. You know, there's the wee kind of circular shelving where they put the bodies and everything. Yeah. And I'm just walking through that on my Todd. Yeah. With not very good light. Oh, I need a new pair of pants when I got out of there. Tell you. How deep in were you? Because I've been in a couple of crypts. I've not been in the Edinburgh ones, but I've been in a couple of crypts. And one of the things that struck me was that once you get past the first couple of rooms, the disarticulation, it's like, it's not... Um, holes and walls with bodies it's rooms of skulls rooms of ribs uh, rooms of pelvises the one i was in wasn't quite um i'm th- i'm picturing the place in paris the, the, like the the underground crypts with all the bones and the stuff it wasn't quite like that it was literally just the shelves yeah it was the only bit that i saw anyway but it's yeah still freaked me out yeah and and yeah i i, I can perfectly imagine people living in that time probably in the, in these places and just above them Certainly they've gone up since then. Um, it had been pretty shitty. Oh, yeah. Like, it was still the whole Guardy Lou pissing shit out the window and stuff, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. Why did you have a candle, Bob? What did, you, did you pay for the basic sauce? He also had a budgerigar, and if it, if it <laughs> yeah. fainted, he had to get out of there. <laughs> I, you, you pick up on a good point there. No, there was candles on the walls. I wasn't carrying one like Wee Willy uh. Winky. <laughs> Even then, the crypt used candles? I think for our ambiance, m- make it look scarier. I think it might have been less frightening. And they've probably not got electricity, don't they? If it was fluorescently lit. <laughs> it was just a room. Yeah, it'd just be, a, it'd be, it'd be less ambient, less atmospheric. But it was very good. I can't remember the name of the tour company that I did it with, but I'll find it. Uh, and the guy that d- delivered it, he took us down a couple of closes and told us all about the history and stuff. It was pretty good, but I had, yeah. to, I had to leave early. But anyway... Yeah, I digress. I apologise. No, we're good at digressing. Uh, getting back to our man that lives in the police station, Mr. Gray. Um, he called for a doctor. The doctor moved Campbell to the Royal Infirmary, but sadly Campbell would die of his wounds two days later on the 3rd of January. Oh, that's a shitter, isn't it? It is. Now, it was official. The first ever killing of a police officer. The first ever police officer to die in the line of duty. Pro- probably... Probably, Both. definitely the first in the UK. But but so uh, so we're saying uh, police officer because it was an official force. Yes, so and because it was a force that was uh, instituted after a police act went through Parliament. I see what you mean. Sorry, no, I was thinking because there was definitely Bow Street runners and stuff like that. Died. Exactly. Yeah, and there were sheriffs and there were various institutions trying to keep the yeah. law. A lot of uh, these would have been trying to keep the king's law back then. Oh, yeah, okay. So, of course, this is the first institution trying to keep parliamentary, parliamentary law. law, essentially. That's all. Yeah, no, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
It's interesting because I, I, if you'd said to me when was the first police officer killed in the UK, I'd have gone probably late 1700s, early 1800s, kind of probably time frame-ish. Uh, but I would have said down south. Yeah, London. Or Glasgow. I wouldn't have gone Edinburgh. It would have been Glasgow if Glasgow hadn't kicked the shit out of all their police officers forcing the force to disband. Yeah, that might have been right, yeah. But as we say now, it was official. Um, the first ever murder of a police officer. From the hundreds of witness statements taken, three names emerged as sort of... They probably didn't deal the killing blows, but they were certainly the leaders of the gangs that were involved. Okay. Hugh McIntosh, Neil Sutherland, and Hugh MacDonald. These men had suddenly become Scotland's most wanted before anybody even had a most wanted. They were the top three on the, th- the list of three. Yeah. Posters were put up, pamphlets were distributed, rewards were offered, and before long, the three were picked up after a tip-off in Glasgow and brought back to Edinburgh to stand trial. Oh, so they'd fucked off to Glasgow? Oh, yeah, they ran. They'd probably took the They'd t- killed the police. They'd take the canal. Yeah, they would. <laughs> you may have guessed, Andy, the pub has got slightly busier. <laughs> uh, I know, it's pretty ambient. <laughs> yeah. On the 20th of March uh, of that year, at the trial, all three men pled not guilty. But the evidence against the trio was both conclusive and wide-ranging, so the verdict was in little doubt. The next day at 1pm, the jury voted unanimously and found Sutherland, McIntosh and MacDonald guilty. They would hang on the 22nd of April at the place of their crime on the Royal Mile at 3.30pm. Well, the place of their crime, so it was like really rubbing their nose in it then. Not just that, the next time you go to the Whiskey Trail in Edinburgh, as you walk in, you will cross the spot where 210 years ago, the first ever policeman to lose his life in the line of duty fell and the spot where his three killers swung for their crime. I'm 100% going there tomorrow. Yeah. Anybody interested uh, in knowing more about the case, the Met Office archives is freely available and the trial transcripts and witness statements are also freely available on the internet. Or alternatively, while researching this case, I found a book that includes Dougald Campbell's case, among others. I've not read it, but I have ordered it. So I'll let you know if it's worth a read. It's called Fatal Duty, Scotland's Cop Killers, Killer Cops and More from 1812 to 1852 by Gary Knight. Cheers for that, Al. That was a, um, yeah, that was a, that was a good one. I would not have said uh, Edinburgh for the first cop killing. No. But here we are. Yeah. It's not an interesting case. It's not, but no, it's an important case. It's I, a seminal case. I disagree with you. I found that interesting. And it's, yeah. it's interesting, but it's not like no. perplexing. No, I don't think it needs to be. I would say I find that interesting. I like the kind of idea of the gangs and stuff like that roaming the streets. That's it's very good. I mean, I, I wouldn't have said it was disinteresting. It's not disinteresting. It's, it's interesting, but I find it interesting for historic reasons rather than true crime reasons, if that makes sense. I find it interesting because even I did not know that Scotland had police forces yeah. before the Met was established in 1929. That was a revelation to me. There you go. Um, I have had a wonderful hour and a bit speaking to both you, Alistair, and to you, Andy. It's been an absolute pleasure to listen to both of you. This thank has been you. a great one. Thanks very much, Andy, for uh, yeah, no, thank you bringing your case. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah. This is a bucket list thing for me. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. Well, let's not make this the, the only time we do it. Um, you, you're welcome back whenever you want. And um, maybe one day you could do us the honour of uh, we'll join you on a Picture the Scene pod, uh, podcast yes. episode. That would be that'd be really of nice. Of course. 
Um, yeah, no, thanks very much for joining us. If you listen to this and you have enjoyed the episode, then not just continue to listen to Twisted Brim, but please do go and um, subscri- subscribe to uh, Picture of the Scene. I presume we can find you everywhere, Andy, Spotify, Amazon. Yes, everywhere. Picture the Scene podcast. Um, you'll, you'll find us wherever you listen. Wherever you listen to this now, we'll be there. Exactly. And we both have uh, social media channels that you should check out on all the different social media channels. And I'm not going to name them because if you don't know how to find them, I don't know how to help you. Um, how have you found this? <laughs> how have you found the pub tonight, Al? I wonder that sometimes. Mum brought me. Um, <laughs> not going to lie. Mum brought me. Nice. Um, Andy, thanks very much for joining us tonight. Um, we will join you for an episode uh, another night. You can join us on Twisted Burn whenever you want. Um, but Ali and I are going to force ourselves on a picture of the scene episode at some point in the near future, if that is okay with yourself. Yes, that's perfectly fine. Yes. Nice. Flagrant Good. self-insert. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds terrible, but please don't say it again. Um, oh yeah, so it does. I'm gonna leave you with a thank you, love you, bye. Thank you, love you, bye. Thank you, love you, bye.